0: Welcome to Major Figures in Spanish Culture, a podcast produced by Fundación Juan Marc. In each episode, we invite renowned experts to sit down and share stories about some of Spain's most distinguished figures, who have greatly influenced and contributed to the advancement and richness of Spanish culture. Maria Zambrano was a philosopher, essayist, and political writer. She was one of the only women that took part in militating for the Spanish Republic and against the military coup that turned into a civil war, and later, into 40 years of dictatorship under Franco's rule. She fled and lived her next 40-some years in exile, which contributed to some of her greatest works as a philosopher. When she was finally able to return to Spain in 1994, She was the first woman to receive the prestigious Miguel de Cervantes Prize. Roberta Johnson, professor emerita of the Department of Spanish and Portuguese at the University of Kansas and adjunct professor in the Department of Spanish and Portuguese at UCLA, has composed an
1: essay of the prolific writer and Marjorie Glantz is here to narrate. Maria Zambrano's trajectory as a philosopher is tightly bound up with her itinerant life as a Spanish Civil War exile from 1939 until 1984. Thambrano was born on April 25, 1904 in Vélez, Málaga, the southernmost province of Spain where Moorish influence was intense and lasting. Some have attributed Thambrano's interest in Sufism to her Andalusian origins and some commentators on her work ally it with mysticism. However her philosophy can be fully situated within the Western philosophical tradition. Her central philosophical concept, poetic reason, which includes a consideration of the emotions, what Zambrano called the soul, in human life, is an alternative to the vital reason and historical reason of her doctoral professor, José Ortega y Gasset. At age four, Zambrano moved with her parents to Segovia where her schoolteacher father was the colleague of the great poet Antonio Machado. Her father's library contained many books by Ortega y Gasset's antagonist, the essayist, novelist, and poet Miguel de Unamuno, whose works such as Del Sentimiento Trágico de la Vida, 1912, The Tragic Sense of Life and People, reveal the pain that rational thought visits on humankind. In the nineteen twenties, Thambrano went to Madrid to study at the university, just at the time the Republican movement was gaining ground. Thambrano joined other students in militating for a republic, and when the new republic nineteen thirty one to nineteen thirty nine was threatened by a military coup turned into civil war, nineteen thirty six to nineteen thirty nine, she took up her pen and employed her writing talent to support the Republican government. As a modernist philosopher in the line of phenomenologists, Edmund Husserl, Max Scheller, and Martin Heidegger, and existentialists Jean Paul Sartre, and Albert Camus, Sambrano was interested in the notion of consciousness. Her first book, Horizonte del Liberalismo, 1930, Horizon of Liberalism, meditates on the interaction between the individual and society. Tambrano argues that a human being is conscious of being other to everything else, which, as Sartre would articulate in Being and Nothingness 13 years later, is the crux of one's existential situation. Tambrano's notion of the individual includes freedom, foretelling Sartre's central concept of the human being as necessarily free. As Sartre would theorize in Being and Nothingness, in Horizonte del Liberalismo, Zambrano posits one's freedom as always linked to that of the other. Thambrano critiques the absolute individual for negating his or her connection to others, since she believed it ultimately impossible to exist in isolation. Politics, Zambrano asserts, is reform, the struggle between the individual and life also reforms the individual. Horizonte de Liberalismo also introduces Zambrano's philosophical approach, which nearly always includes a historical dimension. History for Zambrano is a dramatic dialogue between human beings and the universe. In 1934, Zambrano began to cultivate an interest in the interior self in her seminal essay hacia un saber sobre el alma, towards a knowledge of the soul, which places the soul in a middle ground between the interior and the exterior of the human being. She describes the self as surrounded by concentric layers that go from the deepest interior to what is finally completely outside the person. The soul is located within these layers. In Athia, Thambrano draws heavily a Max Scheller's Ordo Amoris*, which posits a knowledge of the heart. José Ortega y Gasset harshly criticized Hacia un saber sobre el alma, although he did publish the essay in his journal Revista de Occidente. Ortega said that in leaping over the Western notion of reason, Zambrano was trying to get way over there when philosophy had not yet reached here. This criticism sent Zambrano weeping from Ortega's office, but she did not waver in her determination to forge a philosophy that took the emotions into account. Hacia un saber sobre el alma forms the basis of Maria Zambrano's central concept of poetic reason, which she first mentioned in a lecture A los Poetas Chilenos de Madre España. To Chile's Poets from Mother Spain, delivered to Chilean poets during the Spanish Civil War when she and her husband, Alfonso Rodriguez Aldave, were on a diplomatic mission to Chile to garner support for the beleaguered Spanish Republic in 1937. The speech reflects the passionate, personal roots of poetic reason, and it serves as a benchmark in Zambrano's process of disengagement from Spain's political situation as she moved into the interior realm of the passions. According to zambrano poetry, words, creative reason, and active intelligence must be joined to the blood running in torrents. In order to forge the Spanish people's rebirth, which in turn will bring a new world for all peoples. The intersection of reason and physical pain, which places emotion on equal footing with reason, and which Zambrano believed essential to overcoming the Spanish tragedy, signal the birth pangs of poetic reason. During her long exile, which began three years after the Chilean speech, Zambrano continued to hone the concept of poetic reason in defiance of Ortega's lifelong adherence to forms of rationalism. At the defeat of the Second Spanish Republic in 1939, Zambrano went first to Mexico, where she taught at the University of Morelia and continued to develop her ideas on the centrality of the emotions in philosophical thinking. In Mexico, she published Filosofía y Poesía, Philosophy and Poetry, and Pensamiento y Poesía en la Vida Española, Thoughts and Poetry in Spanish Life in which she explored the unfortunate rift between philosophy and poetry from Plato to the present. She sought reconciliation of the two forms of knowledge, observing that both poetry and philosophy depend on the word. She employed a physical terminology that would become increasingly important to her thinking. She asserted that the philosopher possesses the word while the poet is language's slave. Thus, Thamprano endowed the soul situated in that central space between the self and the natural exterior with the physicality that is reminiscent of the pre-Socratic and Stoic philosophers. Also at play here is the dichotomy between pre-reflective knowledge and reflective knowledge. The soul occupies a liminal space between the two. Max Scheller who, as I indicated, was one of Zambrano's important early sources, along with José Ortega y Gasset, emphasize the capacity to reflect as distinguishing human beings from animals. Zambrano places the soul at the border between interior and exterior as a means of bridging the two modalities which Scheller and Ortega divided. In 1940, Zambrano moved to Havana, Cuba, where she had received offers to lecture and teach at the Instituto de Altos Estudios, recently founded in Havana, and the Instituto de Investigaciones Científicas at the University of Havana. Her arrival in Cuba coincided with the rising careers of a group of young poets, which would become known as Orígenes one of the most important Latin American poetic movements of the 20th century. Zambrano acted as a kind of guru for the group, which included José Fama Lima, Cintio Bittier, and Virgilio Piñera, among others. Someone has called Zambrano the high priestess of 1940s Cuban intellectual life. It is said she had a magnetic, almost magic presence and that she could spellbind those who listened to her. The relationship between Zambrano and the Origenas poets was reciprocal. Not only did she stimulate and encourage them, they proved her with an admiring public, ideas, and an intelligent and responsive audience. The Caribbean period, alternating between Cuba and Puerto Rico, which lasted from 1940 to 1953 with a two-year hiatus, 1946 to 1948, and another period in Rome, 1951 to 1952, was a fertile one for Zambrano's meditation on the inner self. It is almost as though her disengagement from Spain's political situation freed her to concentrate on the philosophical track she had initiated in the pre-Civil War years with Hacia un saber sobre el alma. She wrote that in Cuba, she experienced a state of pure forgetfulness, the unlimited time of dreams, and there she developed the notion of delirium, a borderline state between pre-consciousness and consciousness, closely related to poetic reason. Delirium, in Zambrano's thought, has many sources, chief among them Nietzsche's emphasis on the Dionysian over the Apollonian. Delirium, like the soul, has a physical origin in breath. It is originary in the same way that the Greek concept of the soul is originary. It is raw, fleshy, passionate, bloody life that comes from the deepest interior of the person, from the innards, a word that occurs frequently in her writing. Delirium is a lucid dream. In Thombrano's philosophy, Dreams are not the rehearsal of an already lived past, as they were for Freud, but rather an opportunity to create the future. Dreaming is the dawn of consciousness and possibility. In 1943, three years after moving to Cuba, Zambrano continued her resistance to Ortega's rationally based, vital and historical reason in Confesión, Genero Literario, Confession, a Literary Genre. This book confronts Ortega's antipathy toward what he considered personalism in art, which he articulated in his famous essay, The Dehumanization of Art. Ortega proposed that art and life should maintain completely separate spheres and that art should evoke an intellectual rather than an emotional response. For Zambrano, however… Confession offers the possibility of reaching the interior realm of the human being, which sustains liberating dreams. Poetic metaphoric language records and reveals this journey to the interior. Zamprano's contact with the Origenus poets in Cuba inspired key essays on inner life Metafora del Corazon, 1944, Metaphor of the Heart, and La Cuba. Secreta, 1948, Secret Cuba. In Metaphora de Corazón, Zambrano relates traveling inward to the descent into the underworld Los Inferos. Zambrano defines metaphor not only as a poetic entity but as fundamental to life. It defines a reality that reason cannot attain but which can be captured some other way. It is a survival of something anterior to thought, a trace of sacred time, and thus a form of continuity with past times and mentalities so necessary to a rationalist culture. Of course, Zambrano was familiar with Bergson and Heidegger on the subject of lived time from her years in Madrid, but in Cuba, she personally discovered and experienced fluid, unlimited time. The heart is a physical, interior-enclosed, mysterious entity, which at the same time projects the light of sentiment and emotion out of itself. The heart's very familiarity serves Zambrano's purpose, as a universal, physical locus of human emotions that she is trying to capture ontologically and epistemologically. Several works on women during the Cuban period allowed Thambrano to further her ideas on the soul, emotions, which she regarded as more identified with women than with men. Thambrano's lecture on women delivered in Havana in 1940 resonate with contemporary difference feminism that sharply distinguishes between the sexes. In fact, major difference feminists, such as Milagros Rivera, have relied on some of Thambrano's writings and ideas. Following her historical approach to ontological questions, Thombrano argues that men have exercised an extreme individualism that has brought the world to a crisis point, while women have not yet gained the status of individual. The characteristics of individual life that elude women are solitude and liberty. Thombrano recurs to Max Scheller's notion of spirit or creation to differentiate men from women. According to Thebrano, men create, enter intellectual, objectifying life from the beginning while women remain closer to nature and thus never experience the terrible metaphysical solitude of which philosophy is born. Men combine raw instinct with spirit and women are captive, reclusive, hermetic soul that maintains contact with the body. In Eloisa o La Existencia de la Mujer, Eloise, or the Existence of Women, 1945, Zambrano identifies Eloise as having found a way to free herself from women's traditional captivity while continuing to be a soul, or a being in the world she considers specifically feminine. According to Zambrano, Eloise dared to exist— Delirio e Destino, nineteen fifty-three, published in nineteen eighty-nine, Delirium and Destiny, an autobiographical novel or novelized autobiography, is the capstone work of Thambrano's Caribbean period. As one of Thambrano's few works with a more literary orientation, it is an example of poetic reason, emotion, in action. Its protagonist, narrator is a thinly disguised Thambrano, and the work refers to all the ideas upon which Thambrano had been meditating during the 16 years she lived in the Caribbean. Thus, Delirium and Destiny is a philosophical novel in the same vein as those of Miguel de Unamuno, Albert Camus, or Jean-Paul Sartre. But Thambrano's understanding of existence is much more physical than theirs a physical being revealed in the poetic word. In Delirium and Destiny, Zambrano gave physical shape to the theme of dreaming, delirium, in literary form. In the 1920s, Spaniards were dreaming collectively of a new existence under the Second Spanish Republic. Tradition, rather than a restrictive force, initiates the route to creative forgetfulness and creative ideas in order to forge a future that is not weighed down or restricted by the past. For Zambrano, then, the years that preceded the Republic, those she narrates in Delirium and Destiny, were Spain's sueño creador, creative dream. It was the moment when Spain seemed to be on the border of a new European world with a democratic government. Destiny limits, but delirium is infinite, and the two function simultaneously. Zambrano continued her meditation on dreams as a creative medium in El Sueño Creador, The Creative Dream, published in 1955, shortly after Zambrano left Cuba. In 1953, Zambrano, now in charge of her ailing sister, returned permanently to Europe, first to Rome, and then France and Switzerland. The ideas on the self and its relation to society that Zambrano developed in the Caribbean period paved the way for two major works she wrote in Rome, El Hombre y lo Divino, 1955, Man and the Divine, and Persona y Democracia, 1958, Person and Democracy. El Hombre y lo Divino returns to the distinction between philosophy and poetry that Zambrano grappled with in her Mexico-era books, Filosofía y Poesía y Pensamiento y Poesía en la Vida Español. Here, philosophy, the logos, and poetry, the emotions, are united by religion as a feeling or sentiment. The book takes a historical approach to the role of religion in human life, especially its beginnings in the Greek gods and it covers a number of subjects that touch in one way or another on Greek thought. Aristotle's condemnation of the Pythagoreans, Nietzsche's superman, and the death of God. Sartre's notion of nothingness, piousness, pity, ruins, love, envy, the future, temples, and the death of ancient Greece. El hombre y lo is a reasoned defense of delirium as an originary state. In the beginning, according to Thombrano, the human being felt himself to be seen without being able to see, and thus he did not feel free. She posits the sacred as a hidden reality that is anterior to things. Delirium does not question, but poetry related to the sacred initiates human beings' confrontation with the unknown as they begin to question. Questioning signals the dawn of consciousness, and philosophy is born. In Persona e Demografia, Zambrano returns to the civic self from which she had distanced herself after 1940, but she incorporates the lessons about the interior she learned in the intervening years. Persona e Demografia distinguishes between the individual and the person, which Zambrano views as more than the individual. The person is endowed with the consciousness of him or herself as a supreme value. Tambrano's human being is formed of an I and a person. The person includes the I and transcends it. The individual's place is society, but the person's space is interior. Feeling enclosed, a sense of hermetic, incommunicable I-myself, is the essential condition of the person although at times he or she wishes to escape that enclosure and open it up to a friend, a loved one, or the community. The ratio of interior to exterior in the construction of the self is the reverse of that put forth in Orizante del Liberalismo, since now the interior person is the starting place from which the person searches for the exterior. Thambrano establishes the dichotomy between person and personage, or actor wearing a mask, which emerges when the human being allows him or herself to be deformed by history. Thambrano's theory of the person and his her mask attempts to unite the interior with the exterior view of the person, which always includes a social moral consciousness. Echoing Camus She asserts that to recognize oneself means to assume guilt for the plagues having entered the city. This self-recognition fosters the community's cure. For Thombrano, individual freedom depends on everyone's freedom, because all human beings are contained in each human being. Living as a person means being conscious of not impinging on others. In 1967, Thambrano published one last work, La Tumba de Antigona, Antigone's Tomb, on a major female figure. The Antigone theme was not new to Zambrano. In 1948, while still in Cuba, she wrote the Delirio de Antigona, Antigone's Delirium, which is a forerunner of the later play. In both works, Thambrano radically modifies Sophocles' version. Antigone, rather than committing suicide in her tomb, lives on and gains a significant voice that the Greek playwright denied her. Both of Zambrano's versions can be interpreted in either a political or philosophical way, but the 1967 version more fully develops each strand. Antigone, whose classic garb and political role can be seen as an allegory of the Second Spanish Republic holding out hope of redemption from defeat of Francisco Franco's hands, despite the crushing odds to the contrary. The Greek civil war between the brothers Etiocles, Polynices, and the tyrant Creon are easily read as Spain's situation, civil war and dictatorship, between 1939 and 1967. In philosophical terms, Thambrano positions Antigone at the dawn of consciousness, poised in an in-between space between the deep, sacred interior reaches, the tomb, and the luminous exterior of full self-consciousness. Images of light and darkness alternate as Antigone carries on dialogues with each of the characters that play a role in her life. Her sister, Ismene, her mother, Jocasta, her father, Oedipus, her brothers Ithiocles and Polonisis, King Creon, and the Harpy. The conclusion of the play is open-ended. Unnamed characters approach Antigone to lead her from her tomb toward an unknown future. During the final stages of her exile in the French countryside, Zambrano wrote Claros del Bosque, 1977, Clearings in the Woods the culminating and most elusive work of her philosophical career. The title, resonating with Heidegger's notion of Lichtum, suggests that here Thambrana returns to her phenomenological roots in order to capture an intuitive experience via metaphor. Claros del Bosque begins with a physical image, the sensing body at the edge of a clearing in the woods, the physical being in space. Thambrano posits the clearing as a center that we view from the edge. A bird calls us to come, and we obey, but we find nothing, only an intact place that opened up for an unrepeatable instant. The clearing is an intuitive moment in which the sensing body, the emotions, and thought converge and in which conscious and unconscious knowledge coalesce in a moment of recognition. Not only does Thombrano evoke intuition as a philosophical subject, her philosophical method, which is analogical or metaphorical, proceeds intuitively rather than rationally. The intuition, however, is not only mental but physical, the sensation of revelation which could be an instant of aesthetic reception or a creative moment. Zambrano reproduces the cognitive-emotional sensation via metaphor, a cognition that is recognition, one that breaches the clearing, the gap in knowledge. In 1984, Maria Zambrano returned to her native Spain, nine years after the dictator Francisco Franco died. Although her work was little known in Spain at the time, she had already won several major awards in her native country. The Prince of Asturias Prize 1981, and Doctor Honoris Causa from the University of Malaga 1983. In 1988, she was the first woman to receive the very prestigious Cervantes Prize. On February 6, 1991, Maria Zambrano died in Madrid. The Fundacion Maria Zambrano in Velez, Malaga, now houses her personal library and an archive of manuscripts and letters. Thank you for joining us on Major Figures in Spanish Culture.
0: Join us next time to learn about the life of Federico García Lorca, one of Spain's most important poets and dramatists of the 20th century. Christopher Maurer, professor of Spanish at Boston University, will be here to tell us more.